Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Alongside this week, he's back, none other than John Tesh. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> welcome back. Uh, tell, tell everybody what you were working on last week, what you've been working on intensely oh, for the last couple of weeks. How about the last couple of years? Well, yes, but but you've really been doubling down in like the last month, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I'm trying to finish this book, yeah. this book, the Relentless book, and I'm, I'm closing in on it. It's fun. I was, I was um, you know, when you get on a roll with something... It, it, a lot of times, the, it's it's the the elephant looks bigger than it really is. You just got to bite the foot, right? You know? Anyway, but well, the, uh, you extended a metaphor, which yeah. is the old adage: How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right, right. Uh, but I'm I'm in that area where I'm talking about being a reporter at WCBS TV in New York in 1976. But in 19, I forgot this. You know, you start looking everything up in 1977. That whole city fell apart. Oh yeah. In 19 in 1977, of course, Son of Sam who was originally known as the 44 caliber killer, he was, uh, he killed six people, uh, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends. And, uh, and I ended up being sent out on the story. They, they were just like, oh, they, they thought it was like, quote, unquote, a murder. It ended up being a serial killer. Yeah. Uh, next thing that happens is Studio 54 opens up. People go in- insane on disco music. And then the summer of 1977 was the blackout, the 25-hour straight blackout where looting and fires and riots and everything were, were crazy in Manhattan. It's like, it's like Bill Murray in Ghostbusters. Cats and dogs. Oh. You know, chaos when he's talking. About it. He goes, it, yeah. It's yeah. exactly what that looks yeah. like. Yeah, that's yeah. probably based, uh, based on that. So I'm writing all about that and then writing about the homeless population in New York, which was also on fire at the time. And then they, you know, CBS sent me out to be a homeless man in February of 1978 for uh, a week, which... <laughs> Which was people? People would look at that now and go, oh, "That's silly." But back then, nobody had ever ever done it before, yeah. so it was actually a real story. And then, by the way, they didn't have GoPros back then. You had to have a guy across <laughs> the street with a whole van recording you <laughs> on film. Yeah, <laughs> a, cool, yeah. You didn't have a, you couldn't mount uh, something on your shoe. Right, right. Oh, wait, let's switch to John's shoelace cam now and <laughs> right. see what see what things look <laughs> like. While six he's camera like. shoot from a drone. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was like let's send the film out and see if we got anything. You know, yeah. send it out. What? So you've been working tirelessly on this. How how can people find out? It's Tesh.com, and they can sign up there to get updates about how the book is going. Yeah, I think I, I don't even I don't think we've set set up a thing. Maybe just go to Facebook and sign. Make, make yeah. sure you make sure you're one of our Facebook people. Well, I, I know we had talked about if you sign up for the newsletter. Uh, oh yes, you can do a Tesh.com. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, will start sending idea. out early chapters uh, as you get close to the release. That's date great. So people can get that's it. great. But more importantly, who's our guest today? Our guest this week is Stephanie Mann. She's the author of the book Empowerment Parent Empowerment Parenting. Easy for me to say. And she's also the founder of SafeKidsNow.com. We are going to talk about all kinds of things to keep your kids safe, how to navigate parenting in this modern age. Uh, she has a lot of great tips about how to keep your community safe, what community parenting looks like. You know, the old adage, it takes a village. She, we're going to talk about how to build that uh, quote-unquote village. But in this process, we are going to talk about a few things that might be uh, sensitive for some viewers. So we are because we were talking about child safety, um, and, and just a, a little listener warning right now, uh, wrapped into child into child safety are are some things that are sexual in nature, including uh, abuse prevention, but the existence of of abuse, uh, early sexualization, and pornography. So, if those topics make you uncomfortable, we totally understand. Make sure you just check out before before the interview comes along, and uh, and and we you know just skip this episode, I guess. That's just going to make more people listen. It always does. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so community living, right? This yes. thing where it takes a village. Yes. The community, Mrs. Holman who lived across the street and two, two houses down, busted me because she, she was one of those community living people. Right, she right, was right. The, 
In fact, she came to a concert recently. It was so funny. I was telling her this story. She forgot about it. But uh, this this whole community living thing is, uh, I think it probably started with the with the Holmans because um, she, uh, I used to, I, I, you know, it's funny because I just taught your, your son to do this. Um, I never really used the bathroom. You still don't. Yeah. Because uh, we live in the woods, and and so you know, back in the day, you dine al fresco, yeah, and you relieve yeah, yourself. I alfresco. would, I would go if I if I had to go, I wouldn't run, I wouldn't run inside, right, right and right. waste water. Yeah, this was just a tree. Yeah, so I did this behind the Holman's house, and she called my parents and reported me. Right, I mean, you know, and I got in so much trouble because my parents were embarrassed. Totally, so, but. So tell, don't take the community thing too far. Well, but look. So wait, you say don't. <laughs> I wasn't the, in danger. You were. You were, but you know. You know. It, it, Twenty years after that, if you're being outside, then you're. You, that's a. You, you. You have to register as a as a sex offender for, for public urination. That's a thing. Wow. So I'm just but saying. You, do you have the papers? <laughs> they have to sign up for I'm, this. I'm just saying. My my point is that uh, that kind of community parenting is what we're going to talk about. And yes, Mrs. Holman, you may have taken things just a little bit too far. But yeah. you know what? Yeah. You know, uh, you, you didn't you didn't pee on her azaleas anymore. Right. No, I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> well, you know it happens. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, she paid full price for the tickets. It's yeah. concert tickets anyway. Oh, okay. One more little bit of bookkeeping before we move on. You sure. guys may have noticed we have a new logo for Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. When we first created this podcast, it was going to be more of an extension of what we did on the television show. Uh, over time, it has evolved into the interview format that you guys have been listening to so faithfully lately. And because of that, we changed the logo to reflect that. So it's just me and the words intelligence for your life. So I hope you guys, uh, hope you don't stop listening just because we changed the logo. But that's that's what we've done with with the logo. Here's what actually happened. Gibbs' lawyer called us and said uh, he's not doing it anymore <laughs> unless his picture is bigger. Yeah, I, so, I think uh, you I think you overestimate the fact that I have a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's actually my idea, wasn't it? Was it, it? Yeah, I think it was it my was, idea. It was, it was it your was idea, idea to do the redesign. Yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, hey, come on. You're doing all the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why should I take credit for this uh, or anybody else? Yeah. I, anyway, hey, I have something I want to I hit you with. Um, this thing about people, you know, we're always concerned with, uh, hey, with, with me. I've got ankles that are that are a mess and, and a knee that's a mess, and I'm always calling worried. them ankles is really unfair to okay. people with actual right, ankles. Right, here we go. Uh, and I'm two meters tall, so I'm always worried about falling. And, and you know, Connie's mom, uh, you know, we, we go visit her at the senior home, and they're always they, the caregivers are like running around with nets. She's had know. more than one bad fall. She has. Uh, and when you think of somebody falling in the home, you think about a senior citizen. Well, now, according to the University of Maryland, who studied this, Gib, younger adults are now quote as likely. To oh. be as not half as likely as likely to be trip and fall victims because of quote cell phones. Yeah, look, they're so busy looking down at their phones, they're falling down. It's and, and I want I want to say this, and when we did, we've talked about this stuff on the radio a lot. There is no part of me that is going to say this from position of anything but hypocrisy. I am as attached to my phone as anybody listening. My phone is in my hand right now. I am reading. Uh, information about the podcast on my phone as I'm talking to you. My phone is an extension of my body. It is like it is like the symbiotic suit that uh, Venom has in the Spider-Man comics. It is a part of me. Yeah, that, it, that should help, folks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> useful, useful analogy. My point is, what I'm about to say is totally hypocritical. We have to stop looking at our phones. It's killing our necks. It's ruin. It's making us grow new bones. And now, and and how many times have we talked about this? The the idea of of how much it lowers your IQ when you were staring at your phone, when you were trying to do other things and multitask while looking at your phone, your IQ drops ten to twenty points. So when you're doing that, you're basically you're literally you're literally making yourself dumber. And because you're making yourself dumber, what you're falling down more. 
because you are super distracted and and you're you know you're now you're now a sub 100 you're sub optimal IQ you're falling down that's what happens and then and 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 we we kind of deserve to have some consequences for how attached we are to these phones this is like a shark giving a, a press conference saying listen i really don't think you other sharks should be eating people no, I, I, I think I you should just it. stick with the seals stay out of the low water i prefaced no, it I by know, saying i know i'm a but hypocrite you're also, but you're also well you're not so much a hypocrite because you're 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 an outlier you have you have incredible balance you're an athlete and you've played all kinds of different sports so Every, all the people around you, we're all falling down trying to get away from you, but you're never going to fall. Well, but and then you throw in Lucy the dog who goes after oh the ankles, and all, and and now it's yeah, yeah. it's well, it's and here it is by the way. The top, the, on all of the, the top reason people are are falling, younger people now. Um, number one is slipping on throw rugs. Okay. Yeah. Number two is tripping over the cats. Yeah. And half of all walking and talking cell phone accidents happen at home. Yep. It's look, man. We we are making ourselves dumber with these things. We don't have memories anymore. We can't remember any. I, I knew every single one of my best friends' home phone numbers when I was in high school. I knew every single one of them by heart. If I was in a if I was in an accident, if I was arrested, I would have thirty people I could call off the top of my head. I know like two numbers now. <laughs> Point yeah. being, it's making us dumber. Yeah, I got you. Uh, and and if you ever do while you're walking with your cell phone, if you ever do make it into your kitchen. Here's a tip for you. Research shows that when food is tastier, okay, when food is more satisfying, when you like it more, you're less likely to overeat it because you need fewer bites to feel full. So there are some tricks, Gib, proven to make your next meal more satisfying. I'm going to hit you with these two tricks. You tell me what you think. First, experts say make sure every meal is perfectly centered on your plate. It turns out people serve food in the center of their plates are happier with their meals because they perceive symmetry as more luxurious, like something from a fancy restaurant. So they rate the food as better tasting, and they eat less of it. Less of it. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's sort of an uncanny valley with this. So, so up until a certain point, yes, while it, the taster the food, the less you might eat because you'll be more satisfied. But how many times have we been at a restaurant and we, like a multi, like a, a fine dining restaurant, like a multi course meal, and there's one of the courses that just tickles your fancy like nothing else. Oh yeah, like a like a gnocchi or, or oh, like yeah. a, a, or oh, like a bisque yeah. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? What do you? I, I'll tell. I, I I'll tell the listeners at home what you do if you don't say the right thing. Go ahead. What do you do when when there's a great course? You order three more of those dishes, <laughs> even before, though we know before, before I even finish with right. It. Even yeah. though we know yeah. there's yeah. five more courses. It's a fish plate. And it <laughs> happened at Rock Sugar just <laughs> yeah. the other night. I swear it did. Oh, we, we need nine more of these peppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You do the same thing, though. No, I'm totally. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying, there is a certain line where food is so good, you go, well, I really don't care if I have a coronary tonight. I'm going to die happy. Right. And right. I'm just going to keep eating. Right, right. We, hey, the place you took me for uh, my birthday, Taroni oh, you love in it. Los Angeles. That's, yeah. that's like being in uh, in Italy. I just kept yeah. eating. Uh, here's one more tip. <laughs> Boy, do we go left. <laughs> when it comes to serving your meals, if you want to eat less, Use the heaviest kitchenware you have. Oh, yeah. And if you don't have heavy kitchenware, you can buy it online. You can buy heavy forks and heavy spoons and stuff. Researchers found the weight, for example, of a heavy plate or the weight of a fork, it can trick your brain into thinking food is denser. When food seems denser, well, then you need fewer bites to feel satisfied. Also, you get exhausted. Yeah. Oh, and you're, you're burning more calories bringing the food to your mouth. So you're going to get it. <laughs> oh, I can't move. I, I know there's a DIYer out there who's like, well, I got some fishing weights. Let me just get the hot glue gun out. And this sounds like your Uncle Vinny, no, by the way. I think he made one of these. I'm sure. 
I made a weight. I made a weighted fork. I put, I put a whole. Wait, no, he's of, he's into magnets, so he probably put a magnet on it, <laughs> and it kept, it kept going through your it thighs. It ionifies all the food that you're gonna eat. <laughs> totally changes the way you digest. I've lost thirty eight pounds. No, but if you if you put if you make the 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 table metal and you put the magnet in the uh, fork, you'll never be able to get it off. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> then you hit yourself well, in the forehead. Once it breaks <laughs> that one little plate, ah. Oh. By the, by the way, speaking of that, we went to uh, you remember Hamburger Hamlet? We oh yeah, of that? course. Okay, so the first time I was there, uh, they said that lady said, "Hey, would you like a cold mug of beer?" And I said, "Yes, of course." Oh, okay. Who doesn't? So the beer the beer mug comes, and it's it's a frosty beer mug, and I am so excited. Oh, yeah. And I grab oh, yeah. hold of that thing, and I go and I go to <laughs> take a drink, and I hit myself on the forehead with it because it was plastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I expected a beer mug that I that I had right. that I had in, in Sweden when yeah. I was there. Right, hit myself right in the forehead, beer everywhere. My wife was like, "What is wrong with?" You? <laughs> I, nobody will hire me because of my drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just the opposite. Make sure everything is heavy. Yes. Uh, okay, I think that's it. Let's <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I've ruined your podcast. Are again. you guys are you guys feeling more intelligent now that we've talked about oh, shirt for your friends? <laughs> yeah. Two light beer mugs uh, and there's two things I'll never share. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Uh, we are going to do real fast. Just want to thank Weeder Artery Health, who is our sponsor. Uh, don't forget Artery Health uh, is cardiovascular health, and so we're gonna play a quick commercial with Net. Uh, and and that's what I do, by the way, is I have like, I have like four pizzas at Taroni and then I just pop some weed around me. <laughs> yeah. Word to the wise, probably not the best way to deal with, with supplementing. Uh, but uh, for but for people like John, there you go. There's always weed or artery health. Oh, you're always in. worried about the lawsuit, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, always. You're in my domain now. Remember that lawyer we talked about me not that's having before? Right. <laughs> yeah, well, after after yeah, that, that's right. We are gonna, can't you get a lawyer on Fiverr.com? <laughs> I'm sure you can. I just go to like uh, Legal Zoom and download some paperwork, some indemnification paperwork. I'm sure Robert Shapiro will be fine with it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> after Gee, the, I forgot where we were. After the weed or artery health segment. We are going to go right into our interview with Stephanie Mann, author of Empowerment Parenting, everything you need to know to make sure your kids are ready for this next decade. Hey, it's John Tesh here to tell you about Weeder Artery Health. If you're concerned about maintaining your heart health, I urge you to check out Weeder Artery Health. It's crucial to maintain healthy and flexible arteries, and that's where Weeder Artery Health comes in. It has clinically researched key ingredients like vitamin K2, which is hard to get enough of from food alone. Weeder Artery Health uses MenaQ7 as the source of vitamin K2. It's been clinically shown to help transport calcium to your bones. Weeder Artery Health also includes an ingredient called Aronia Berry, which improves circulation and helps maintain blood pressure by keeping arteries flexible. Proper blood flow is your lifeline, and I want you to live a long and healthy life. So grab a box of Weeder Artery Health. I get mine at Costco for the best value, and you can too. Or you can visit Weeder.com. Go to Costco.com or Weeder.com for Weeder Artery Health. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Stephanie Mann, you are the founder of Safe Kids Now. You are the author of the new book, Empowerment Parenting. Uh, and you are just you are an, a, a, a very sought-after consultant in the world of, of, of parenting and, and violence prevention. So we are really honored to have you here today. Thank you so much for being a part of the program. Well, I'm so happy to be here today, and thank you for inviting me, Gib. Well, I've had a chance to uh, just kind of peruse your book a little bit, and it is fantastic. By the way, link to where to buy that in the show notes. Um, but you have a, a pretty amazing story yourself where you were left in you were left in Mexico by your mother? <laughs> well, I was abandoned at age 15 and uh 
in Mexico City, and I didn't speak the language. So, uh, yes, that's part of my uh, history. And just to be clear, this is before Google Translate, so you didn't have a phone in your pocket that could just say, you know, no necesito el baño. (laughs) No, I didn't have any anything uh, other than uh, being. uh, She left me in Mexico City College. I was actually a freshman in high school. And uh, she said, you know, you're not that great a student, so uh, um, just study uh, Spanish, and you're good at art, so study art and Spanish, and uh, I'll be back. And she and her politician husband went back to Washington and left me there uh, without any, well, I had one month's rent, and they were gone four months, so it made a, a very difficult situation for me. And, and that informed your resiliency later on in life, correct? No doubt about it. You know, you have to have some perspective on your life. And uh, looking back, um, I must say it almost killed me. But it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because when my mother returned, uh, I saw her through very different eyes mm. because I'd had to, uh, I knew I could survive. Uh, I um, managed to get a job as a uh, uh, an interpreter, and I didn't speak any Spanish. My Spanish was horrible, but um, I found a man, a taxi driver that could help me, and we took tourists around, and uh, I was able to survive. But uh, I must say, um, it 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 was a very difficult situation, and I see very similar. Today, some of the things that are going on with kids today being abandoned, uh, neglect, it's called neglect, and abuse, and um, this must stop in our families. People have to pay much more attention to their children, and, uh, you know, we need to change what we're doing. I see a lot of spiritual ignorance Mm. in this society, and by that, I mean we're not teaching our children how to live by their own spirit. Uh, and that's what I write about in Empowerment Parenting, because children have amazing, amazing abilities. I didn't yeah. even uncover mine until I had to. <clears throat> and I had to take charge of my own life at age 15. Uh, it's a little disturbing to hear people say, well, children aren't really grown up and their brain is not developed until they're 25 years old. Oh, please. Uh, children are very smart. Um, they learn a lot if you give them that opportunity. They need encouragement. Uh, they need love. They need uh, connections. Mm. And uh, the social isolation today is uh, is really hurting our children. So that's one of the reasons, I, many of the reasons why I wrote the book. So why, why do you think that, um, that, that, that abuse and neglect is a big problem right now as opposed to forever? What, 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 is, what is unique about our current situation? Well, uh, when you, uh, okay, years ago when I grew up, um, now I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Well, clearly, based and, on the, origi- the, the anecdote that we started this with. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and a lot of, ch- and my, my, most of my peers had very good families. I had heard that they went to church and so forth. So I knew there was a, a God or something out there to help people. But in my family, I didn't have it at all. Uh, So uh, when I got to Mexico, uh, I had to discover that for myself. But uh, today, we we don't even talk about higher power or how how 
I mean, we all have these instincts that can protect us. I've, you know, as a crime and violence prevention consultant, I have had so many people say to me, I shouldn't have let that guy in my house mm. or I shouldn't have let that man in the, uh, I shouldn't have gone in that elevator with that man because he stole my purse. Um, people are not using their instincts. Mm-hmm. We have in- amazing intuition that we don't even talk about. Uh, and we have a conscience to guide us. Now, um, all of us know that we are not born bad. Uh, we learn bad behavior a lot of times right in our homes. And uh, as long as people are learning uh, to bully each other at home or to be a victim at home, that same uh, problem is going to happen uh, out in the schools and in society. So um, this you've seen escalate. That has to, uh, we, we have to understand more about ourselves instead of looking for other people to solve our problems. Do you think the amount of socializing that we're doing online now kind of uh, insulates us from our ability to read people and read dangerous situations? Because I, I feel like we spend so much time in a textual world that we lose the contextual world, uh, to, to extend the pun too far. But like we spend so much time texting each other and not reading all of these secondary social cues that we have become bad at reading secondary social cues. Or we've, we've, we've trained ourselves away from reading them. I, I couldn't agree with you more, but I think the problems are even bigger than that. We, we've, uh, kids are attached to their computers, to mm-hmm. their iPhones, to their, uh, to, uh, you know, you name it, uh, television. Yeah. Uh, and we lose that ability to uh, communicate, period. Um, I, I'm very concerned about that because uh, communication... Uh, but in families, for example, has even decreased. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been to a, a, a dining room or a restaurant someplace where everybody's looking at their iPhone? Never. Go, <laughs> well, that's a, that's craziness. Uh, no, I, yeah, ev- everywhere. I, I, it's, it's insane. It is. It is. And parents are going to have to take much more um, responsibility for saying, put the phone down. We're all going to talk today. One of the things I have in empowerment parenting is the listening stool or the listening chair. And uh, that is when children are fairly young, uh, if there is a a problem in the household or kids want to talk, they go sit down in the listening chair. The purpose of the listening chair is for parents. Is is it like the conch in uh, Lord of the Flies? (laughs) I don't know. The the conch shell? Whoever has the conch shell is allowed to talk? Yeah, well, okay. If you're sitting in the chair, everybody has to stop and listen. Um, I had a woman tell me that her two boys were fighting all the time. And she (laughs) had them sit in the chair and explain their side of the story. And after they finished, they uh, shook hands and went about their business. Uh, So they didn't go to bed hostile to each other. You know, we have kids growing up today uh, that are not, that are enemies, uh, that are siblings. Because yeah. they are unresolved issues from years ago. So uh, we need to do a better job of communicating. I, I think that's really fair. And I, and I think, I think again, uh, I think parents phoning it in, pun intended, where we are stare, we're, we're staring at our screens as much as the, as the kids are. We're 
when kids are having to learn patience and boredom, we're giving them screens instead of making like you, like you said, you go to a dining room at a restaurant, and if kids are at the dining, like look, I I have three children. I hate bringing them to a restaurant as much as people hate having kids at a restaurant. I get it, but sometimes you know you, you need to teach some manners. You take you there are situations where they just come. Uh, but when I was a kid, the most I got to do was color at the table, and now they get to watch shows. They have headphones on and an iPad. And while that's great, and while that gets you through that day, you're losing. I mean, I know we sound like 1950s parents here. It's like, <laughs> what doesn't you know, what uh, what doesn't kill you, you know, builds character. But you you lose the character building exercise that the kid has to learn patience and to sit there bored and to have to sit through adult conversation and learn to try to engage with it. Uh, and and I think that's that's to our to our detriment. Absolutely, as a, as a society, it, it's a it's a sad commentary. Uh, I saw a toddler watching you know a little phone thing yeah I, I don't know what they are but uh they're for the kids and i i guess it, it's fine once in a while but if it gets to be a steady uh routine here, right uh, it's it's going to get you into trouble much uh much more trouble than you think there's going to be yeah. especially if you don't have that good communication uh, there are two times that are really good times for communication uh, that's in the listening chair or, uh, right after school is not really a good time, but right before they go to sleep, mm -hmm. uh, go in and sit and talk to your children and basically listen. It's even more important to listen. How, right. you know, how are things going? How are you feeling? Uh, what happened today that was good? What are you grateful for? You know, that nice, quiet conversation you can have with your child at night. Uh, is super important, very important. So, yeah. you know, you have three children, you know. I do, and I'm thinking about this listening chair, and I'm thinking that my oldest, who is definitely the strongest willed of my kids, would just basically sit in that chair all the time and insist that people listen to her constantly. So, I feel like there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of management that needs to be done with the listening chair because otherwise, her sister would never get to sit in it. Um, <laughs> well, notice. You said your oldest child is, you know, I had three children, too. Uh, my oldest was the shy, the quiet one. And uh, I called her, uh, well, I call it call that child in the book, the pincushion child. Mm -hmm. Very sensitive, very talented, um, but uh, sensitive to the world around them. And then I had the second child, which was the uh, much more aggressive child, the much more talkative child. Um, she could bully uh and I had to rein her in. And then you have the spiritually centered child, which doesn't put up with either one of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, he just went about his business. <laughs> once in a while, he could get, be a bully. And once in a while, he'd get oversensitive. But basically, he was pretty centered. Yeah. So the, so the job of the parent is to get all of the children centered themselves, rein in the, the bossy one. Um, get the other one involved that's super shy. Uh, and now all three of my kids are amazingly successful children. Well, good for them and good for you as a parent. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> my, my, it's funny is because my oldest is flipped. My oldest is the strong, difficult one. I, difficult. I, I, she's amazing. But she's definitely the stronger one and the one that requires yeah. a little bit more... Um, a little bit more resistance parenting. And then my, my middle child is, she is the sensitive, 
right. pincushion child. Everything, everything penetrates her heart in a in a deep way. So it's that back and forth is, uh, or that management is, is 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 reversed for me. But I totally appreciate what you're saying, where you have to parent differently for each kid. Uh, I I do want to pivot here because I think we've talked a little bit about why there is a need for parenting and a need for character building in our kids right now. In the term, in terms of what the world that we live in is, and why, why resilience is important because it does, like you said, it builds it builds this level of character and ability to navigate the world without parents. But right. but you you specialize in violence prevention, so how how does this stuff relate to preventing violence and attacks on our children? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, well, this is where we need to surround our kids with a network of support. Um, our neighborhood can be very supportive for our children because usually they're outside playing. They used to be. Hopefully you can get them outside playing. You have to have a safe neighborhood. And when you have a safe neighborhood, then they can go out and play. Um, so how do you create that? Is It's not that difficult if you don't have a safe neighborhood um, I would suggest that you get a friend and you go door to door and you ask three questions. You say you don't know any neighbors okay, and you're not feeling safe in the neighborhood. <clears throat> All right. You ask three questions. Uh, what is the biggest problem that you see in my, in our neighborhood? Uh, and that could be a pothole or it could be a drug dealer down the street. Okay. You don't know unless you ask. And then uh, uh, what is your biggest concern? And uh, that might be some of the kids on the block. You don't know unless you ask. And then will you help? We're trying to bring this neighborhood together. So uh, the people that say, I will help, you go, okay, uh, let me have your name and your address and so, you know, uh, contact information. And let's get together and we'll have coffee and we'll make a plan. Hey, it's summer. Uh, it's a great time to have some kind of activity and involve the neighbors. Maybe it's a cleanup campaign. Maybe it's just a, a get to, social get-together. Or maybe it's uh, have a, a safety and, and invite someone from the police department to come and, and talk to us about safety. There's all kinds of things you can do to make your neighborhood safe. And that's taking personal responsibility for that neighborhood safety. We can all do that, and if we did, we could bring our neighborhoods and our communities and pay much more attention to our children. Uh, everybody would benefit, and our children would benefit the most. So um, it's important that all of us think about how do we make that network of support around our kids a better place for all of us and make it safer for us, for us to live. I, you know, I, I, I hear you what you're saying about the importance of community, and I, and I don't disagree with that. I think that is, that is paramount. And having people that you trust around your kids, and having people that you trust in your life, it actually does a lot for improving the safety, right? Because if you Absolutely. know, you'll know the difference between local teenagers blowing off steam, vandalizing your house, and increased gang activity in your neighborhood. I happen to live in an urban environment, so those are all, those are both possibilities at any given moment. Um, so this idea that, again, like you're saying that, that if the more, you know, people, the better you are to be a neighborhood network and community and understand what the difference is. What about the fact that, that 
abuse is more likely to occur from people you know, though. So how do you how do you balance that by increasing the size of your network and getting to know people in your neighborhood while also being cautious about how you bring new people into your life that may or may not uh, be abusers? Well, you know, uh, the abusers are a very small uh, minority of people. Uh, it's not er, very few people abuse each other. Mm hmm. Uh, the statistics say we have a lot of problems, but that's usually kind of a, a general uh, type of information. So the odds of you having uh, more than one person in your neighborhood that might be abusive uh, are pretty, uh, pretty slim. So um, use your instincts. This is what we all have. Uh, if something doesn't feel right, pay attention to it. Use your intuition. Talk to other people. For example, um, let's see, uh, I've got so many stories about uh, what, what uh, people have done to uh, create a safer neighborhood. Let me give you a quick example. Go for it. I love a good example. Who doesn't love a good anecdote? <laughs> and these okay, are the kinds well, of anecdotes I, we can expect in your book. Oh, listen, most of my book has stories in it because I think people and children especially learn from stories. No doubt. And we, we put illustrations in the book and graphics because that's how kids learn. But we had uh, one neighborhood where uh, we had two little boys, actually. Uh, this wasn't about abuse. This was about children abusing uh, the neighborhood. Mm. And uh, the boys were seven and nine, and uh, they were smashing mailboxes. They were pulling up flowers. They were stealing out of garages mm. and uh, so they, they had a neighborhood meeting, and uh, the neighborhood meeting uh, kind of uh, the discussion turned to the little boys because that's what was driving everybody crazy. Mm -hmm. One man said, well, I called the cops, and the police came, and uh, they said uh, he talked to the mother about it, and uh, they decided, well, absolutely nothing happened as a result. The boys were still out of control. Mm. And one man said, well, I went over and uh, told her she, those kids ought to shape up and she ought to do something about it. And she slammed the door in my face. Okay, now we've got a dilemma. And they were trying, to, they started talking about how do we solve this? Because these boys are going in the wrong direction. Uh, they're going to end up in prison. So this is where neighborhoods are really need to take control. And uh, because they are so powerful when they work together. So they came up with a plan. Uh, two of their tactful neighbors went over and talked to the neighbor. And Emphasis on tactful, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say um, they were very um, gentle with her. They, they did not want to uh, tell her to shape up and get the kids sh shaped up and that sort of thing. So uh, they went over and they talked to her and um, persuaded her that they wanted to help. They didn't want to criticize um, because they knew there was a problem. And she invited them in, and uh, all of a sudden she burst into tears when they said they wanted to do whatever they could to help the boys. And found out that her husband had been incarcerated. Wow. The boys were very upset about the whole thing and very angry. And as a result of finding out what was happening to her, uh, the neighbors took the boys under their wing, invited them to go uh, to some of their events that they took their children to. And uh, 
it turned out that it was an amazing transformation. Uh, I ran into her about 10 years later, because I've been doing this a long time. And uh, I said, well, how are the boys? And she said, well, one's in college, junior mm. college, and the other one is doing great in high school. And she looked at me and she said, and you know what? I could never have done this by myself. Mm. My neighbors were really my salvation. So, you know, we need to be salvation for people in other people's lives, too. We may need it our, ourselves one day. Yeah. And when we're connected, when we're connected and we offer to help other people, we can change lives. Yeah, I mean, and again, there's there's this doubling down, this this extra emphasis on community that I that you keep that you keep putting out there, and I think that's I think that's really important, um, and I think that that benefits us in more ways than just in our parenting and in just in violence prevention. I mean, in terms of, uh, we've had uh, tons of experts on the show that talk about how important it is for longevity, how important it is for feelings of self worth, for fighting depression. Um, so there's there's all of these elements that I think play into it beyond just preventing violence for our children. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, the social isolation is killing our kids. Mm -hmm. The suicide rate has gone up 21 percent in the last 10 years of children between 10 and 19. Um, wake up, parents. Um, you, we need to talk to our kids. We need to get them involved. Uh, we need to be a supportive, loving network. If if your home, my home, any home, has love, support, respect for everyone in the family, right. uh, and, and we're a support system for each other, uh, we will not have the problems we've got today. So it's up to parents to stop and be peacemakers in their own home. Right. Uh, if, if you've got abuse in the home, for heaven's sakes, Seek help. Your children are learning from you. Yeah. Everything you do is teaching your kids uh, for good or for bad. And these children do not uh, bully at school just because they want to bully kids at school. Mm -hmm. They see it, they learn it, and they do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's like you, you mentioned before, nobody is born inherently. I mean, there are. But it's a nationally small percentage of people that have the mental disorder of sociopathy or psychopathy. Um, but but this idea that, you know, for the most part, when kids are acting out, it's in response to some sort of stimuli in their home or uneasiness that's going on, some some disconnect in their in their home life, which which makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, that, 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 so what are your OK? We, we under, I understand the need for community. I understand the need, the the fact that with new technology, our parenting and the way that our children experience the world has changed to a degree that we kind of need to start to parent around. What are the steps that we can start taking? You know, you have 10 steps in your book. What are the, what are the steps that we can start taking to empower our kids to be not the bully, but the, the kid that stands up for the bullied? Well, every child needs uh, to know how unique and special they are. And most of us know that. Uh, but we've got to show that and uh, we've got to have special time with each child mm -hmm. so that they know that they are a, a special to you. I'll tell you, if you improve your communication with your children at an early age, they're going to talk to you when you're when they're teenagers. Yeah. So if you don't have any communication with a teenager, um, I, I, I feel sorry about that because you needed to start that early. Start everything as early as possible. 
Uh, number two, um, teach them that pain is their teacher. You do not want to overprotect a child. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the idea of a helicopter parent, to me, uh, is doing your child such a disservice. Yeah. Such a disservice. Um, for example, my son, when he was six years old, uh, he came home from uh, first grade crying. And he said, I don't want to go back to school. And I said, what's the problem? Oh, and, you know, the little bully was bullying him and mm -hmm. he didn't like it and so forth. And I said, okay, you got to put on your Superman costume because Superman was the big deal of the day at that time. He's still a pretty so, big deal. Yeah. So put on your Superman costume and let those bullets, word bullets, bounce off your chest. Mm -hmm. You just can't let that penetrate you and make you feel bad. And he said, oh, okay. He sort of got it. Well, next week he came back and he was crying again. Uh. So I repeated my story and I said, all right, you got to get stronger. You're not showing your strength. You're not a Superman here. Well, another week went by and he came home and he was elated. He said, I took care of Johnny. And I said, oh, oops. Okay, what did you do? And he said, well... He said, when he started picking on me again, he said, I just turned my back on him and I walked away. And I said, I'm going to report you if you do that to me again. And he said, he never, he, he walked, he came home and now he was really excited because he solved his own problem. So um, that is what guidance is all about as a parent. You've got to empower them so that they feel strong enough that they can do it themselves. I, I and and that is again like that's what I really like about that story is that that uh, that he that he advocated for himself with the bully, not in a violent way, but in a way that that you would want him to without your, without you having to come in and get the teacher involved and make sure that your kid was safe and and I, I think, I think too I don't know I, I with 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 school shootings and with with the ability for certain things to escalate beyond. Beyond just a simple schoolyard tussle, uh, I, I I understand why a lot of parents though want to step in and protect their kids because because again with 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 the internet the bullying doesn't stop when they come home anymore the bullying stays online the bullying follows them people are having conversations about kids and ostracizing kids way outside of the of the thirty minute recess now. And I and I wonder I, I wonder as parents how do we both protect our kids from those from these extreme consequences that could exist uh, right. while also allowing them to sort that out because you know the situation you described it happened before some of these things were were big issues it was before Absolutely. Columbine it was before the internet absolutely and the internet parents have to do a, a good job of monitoring what their children are watching I cannot tell you uh, how dangerous. I mean, we used to worry about predators in the park. You now have a predator in your home, mm. and it's in, it's on the computer. And if you don't monitor what is going on and what they're watching, it's very easy for children to get into uh, porn information on, yeah. on the internet. Yeah, becoming sexualized way too early. And, that, and that's another thing that, again, you know, the kids used to find the Victoria's Secret catalog, and that was one thing, or there would be one seedy part of town where those kinds of shops were. Now it's it's in their bedrooms, whether we like it or not. Absolutely. And that's why parents have to be much more on their toes. But beyond that, 
because parents cannot always be with their kids. They can't. So right. you have to empower them. That's why I wrote Empowerment Parenting. You have to empower them so that they make good choices. Uh, because if, if they don't get uh, porn on your computer, they might go over to their neighbor's. And he might have no problems showing you porn on that or whatever. So uh, you've got to empower your own kids so they know the difference between right and wrong, right. the difference between how to feel good about yourself and how not to feel good about yourself. Because a child that's in an abusive home does not feel good about himself. He kind of blames himself or herself. And we need to clean up our own homes and uh, because this is a huge problem, it's not just uh, what it used to be. You're absolutely right. But uh, I would also advise you to uh, get involved in schools. I know people are busy, but you need to know what's going on in the schools. You need to know if they have what kind of safety precautions they have taken. So don't sit back and wait for somebody else to try and figure this out. Uh, we all have to get involved in one way or another in our communities, uh, some small part, if it's just taking charge of your own neighborhood safety, or maybe it's getting on a school board, or maybe it's getting on a, a, a hospital board or something that is of particular interest. We, we're all going to have to take more responsibility for what's happening to our children. I, I understand that, and I, and I, but I, I just feel like it's... Um... It's a deluge that we and we're trying to block it with an umbrella because because because, it, again, like you said, if it, if you, if if you put all the parenting locks on the computers in your house, which, by the way, the kids are learning how to get around everything so much faster than we than we could even hope. Uh, I mean, especially in, in houses with older parents. Um, and it's just going to get worse because the technology is going to move faster and faster and kids are going to be, be navigating around it. So that. How how we prevent that in our own homes is one thing. Preventing it in the world at large, like you said, is is it's it's not even possible. You have to empower them to navigate it at a time when they may or may not have the mental capacity or the skills to navigate some of that stuff. And I just I want to be I want to find a way to empower our kids without having to abandon them in Mexico City at fifteen. That's <laughs> I I want to I want to create that. And I and and also I'm going to go a step further. You know you you talk about building community. You talk about getting involved in your kids' lives, and I, I applaud that. I think those are those are great ways um, to have a network where 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 your neighbor's eyes are on the house, even when you're not there. Where your eyes are on your neighbor neighbor's house when they're not there. That you're you're it takes a village, right? Your whole village is focused and moving towards some of the same goals for the kids in the neighborhood. I'm a big fan of all of that. But as a society, we are increasingly moving into urban environments. We are moving into cities and out of the country. We are moving out of small towns. Even suburban sprawl is being pushed back against. And we are living in denser, more expensive areas. And the cost of housing relative to incomes is just going up in those areas. And because of that, more and more households aren't two-income households by fun or design or because people want to be empowered for career they're two-income households because they need to be two-income households and when you have multiple parents both parents are working sometimes more than one job the kind of involvement you're talking about becomes a lot more difficult it becomes harder to build those community that community system in a way that's that remains safe because like you said when you bring that neighbor into your life yeah there's not a lot of abusers out there the percentages are, are, are actually a lot lower than we might think but now you've but that's a lottery that I don't want to play. 
I don't want to lose that lottery. So how do we start doing that in a, in a world where, where time is, is becoming a very precious commodity? Oh, that's such a good question. Thank you for asking it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> one, of, <laughs> one of the things I'm advocating for are neighborhood safety experts. Uh, we need to hire and train people that live and work in our communities uh, to be neighborhood safety experts to go back and help create uh, more in-touch neighborhoods, meaning that they go back and get these neighborhoods organized because a lot of people, you, everybody's heard of Neighborhood Watch. Yes. It, it isn't about Neighborhood Watch. It's about neighborhood responsibility. And uh, we need people to get, uh, all right, the neighborhood safety expert looks like and speaks the language of the community. Uh, they go back and um, bring people together. Uh, the action of bringing people together uh, reduces fear, builds trust, uh, creates a safe environment. And if we had every city that had neighborhood safety experts working to bring people together, you would see a big change in this society. Society as a whole um, looks really bad right now because the media focuses on fear. Right. It focuses. Right. Yeah. It focuses on fear and isolation and uh, getting people angry at one another. And uh, the, the American people really need to take back their own power. Once they take back their own power and feel safe in their neighborhoods again, and safer in their communities, uh, we cannot rely on politicians. I'm sorry, look how dysfunctional our politicians yeah. are. They can't seem to, I, I mean, wake up America. It's gonna be you that makes the change here. It is not going to be the politicians. I don't care who you elect. Uh, um, this is a very um, important topic for me because I have seen how people have gotten dependent on government to do this, that, and the other thing. We're moving in the wrong direction. We should be moving in personal responsibility. We should be moving in on, because most of the people in our communities are amazing. Uh, yes, they're working hard. They're hardworking people. But the thing they want most is for their children to be safe. Uh, what, what are we working for if we're not working for safe kids and we're not working for safe communities? Why are we even bothering to work? Well, let's work toward having these safer communities and if we're too busy and we've got two jobs, then let's have neighborhood safety experts that go out, that are trained and hired uh, by the city, not by the police department, because there's a lot of angst between police and neighborhoods. You will not see Ferguson happen again. You will not see the Baltimore violence happen again if we had brought these communities together, because you give the police too much power and the people feel powerless you're going to have violence. Right. That has to stop. But isn't this just uh, more, isn't this just more, I mean, I, I, we'll put a pin in the debate of whether or not, you know, the government aid is, is, is uh, a net benefit or, or a net negative. But, but the idea that the, we would have these government paid for safety monitors in our, in our neighborhoods, how, how does that no. mesh with? I, I don't think it should be government paid for. I think it should be community-based. Um, I was a coordinator for our county. 
mm -hmm. uh, Contra Costa County. Uh, matter of fact, we got a grant and uh, we were six coordinators for a huge county and only six of us, we were able to organize uh, a 27 different crime prevention committees. And these were all volunteers that worked uh, in their communities. Uh, we helped them organize, we helped the city. For example, I walked into El Sobrani, California. I didn't know one person. Uh, I was not government paid. I, I walked in, I went from store to store, I met and this is an unincorporated area, uh, no city government, no uh, mayor, nothing. And uh, I met the, the uh, uh, business leaders and they told me who were the movers and shakers in El Sobrani. And as a result of learning that, we organized a committee. Uh, we put up a sign in the community. These were all people, people doing this. This wasn't about government. This was about the people in El Sobrani. They put up a uh, a real estate man offered us a, 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 a office with a telephone and uh, we got the whole community organized. You'd be surprised how anxious people are to work with their neighbors uh, if they are given a chance and somebody will take a leadership role. And there's just a, there's a leader in just about every neighborhood I've ever been in. Yeah, and, I, I mean, that, that's and I, I see I see the power in what you're talking about. And I and I absolutely am a hundred percent on board when you can organize a community uh, around itself, the ownership that gets taken by the community, the empowerment that it gives the people. I just I, I think we're increasingly living in parts of the uh, parts of of the world where and and because again, cost of living is rising so much, there's I, I, there are neighborhoods where that is that is just a, a logistical impossibility. and and I and I, and those are the neighborhoods that need this the most. So how do we solve that problem? Well, that's where you get uh, uh, our city leaders. We have mayors, we have city council members, and they can look at the problem. For example, Chicago has been a high crime uh, area in the south of Chicago for a long time. And uh, if you're going to change it, you have to take a section of Chicago uh, south side of Chicago, uh, an area, and work as a, um, uh, a model for this kind of behavior, you know, change. And once you create a model, then you can spread that to the larger part of, of but we're not even addressing it. We're yeah. not even talking about it. We're not even giving people hope at this point. People are, are, are young people are shooting each other because they have no hope. They don't even think they're going to live this mm -hmm. long. So uh, you got to give people hope. Once you give them hope, and I've seen it happen over and over again. As I said, I've been doing this for 40 years. Right. Um, once you give people hope, they go, and you'd be surprised how many retirement people will jump in with both feet. They are there. They're at home. They're sitting watching television and saying, ain't it awful? Yes, but guess what? You can do something about it. It's not like uh, everybody is uh, has two jobs because they don't. There are a lot of people that are retired that could do a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and if we need some government help, fine. Uh, but it has to be community-based and it has to be for the people themselves. Uh, we can create this change. Mm -hmm. uh, it's whether we have the, um, the uh, well, we need the moxie to do it. <laughs> You, know, you seem like you've got moxie in spades. 
Well, um, as I said, you know, uh, when you see what needs to, you see a path uh, and you want to try to lead other people down a path that works because so much of what we've been doing does not work. Uh, creating, um, we've got to have more jobs in our communities, but you have to have safer communities first or the jobs are not going to come. Yeah. I mean, the reason a grocery store leaves a high crime neighborhood is because they're being robbed blind. Mm -hmm. uh, they can't afford it. So create the safe place. Then the jobs will come in. Once you have jobs and a safe place, our children are going to thrive. But right now we have a problem. We who have are, a big problem. Who are you hoping reads this book and what are you hoping they do with it? Well, um, if you read some of the... Um, a, um, what do they call them? The evaluations on uh, Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, reviews. The, reviews, thank you. Um, if you read some of those reviews, uh, they are saying every teacher should have this book. Uh, every person that's concerned about a crime or violence or anything should have this book. So uh, I was really pleased with some of the... Uh, uh, and, and matter of fact, I had a sheriff that said, you know, and, and this is one of the reviews on the back of the book. Uh, and he said it can stop violence. If people know how to empower themselves, uh, if they if you know how to empower your children, uh, they are the leaders of the future. They're the ones that can change all of this and they will change it if they have some hope, if they have a path. Mm. So I'm hoping this will be a path for the future. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, if we can empower our communities to 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 do the kinds of changes that you're talking about, I, I my my concern. <laughs> this is such a defeatist perspective. Go ahead, say it. But my concern is that we are already past the point of no return on some of these. Like that, there are some neighborhoods, there are some situations where some of what you're describing is just not possible. Well, you know, um, I don't think you start in those areas. What you do is you start in an area where you can be successful. Success breeds success. So don't start with the impossible. You start with the probable and you give hope to people. Um, I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Uh, matter of fact, to tell you a quick story, I was uh, working with Oakland Police Department in California mm -hmm. and um, I, we had a call one day from a resident that was highly irate he was so angry he said i have a drug dealer on one corner and i've got prostitutes on the other corner and mm -hmm. i've got a 12 year old daughter and he said i want her to be safe uh this is outrageous and uh you you guys have got to do something well the police department sent me <laughs> which was a little shock to uh, my friend Earl. And uh, I said to him, the resident, I said, okay, here's our, here's our plan and see if you like this. We've got to get the neighbors involved. And what we're going to do is take down driver's license numbers. And look, you know, when you're walking the dog or playing um, cards out on the sidewalk or whatever you want to do, watering the lawn, take down descriptions, license plates, numbers, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I will turn them over uh, to Oakland PD and we'll see if we can't clean this up. Well, he got the neighbors involved 
they were walking the dog and taking different shifts and taking some pictures and all unnoticed by the, you know, by the clients that were coming to the prostitutes and by the customers that were coming uh, to the drug dealer and so forth. Well, it took about three months and um, we got the neighborhood cleaned up. Okay. And um, everybody was so pleased that they had a part. See, this is where people feel such gratitude. You know, I did something. I was able to clean up the neighborhood or help clean it up. And um, matter of fact, his daughter, um, well, I'll tell you, if we want to do something about health care, uh, I cannot tell you how many people are literally sick in our high crime neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It was taken Stress. a terrible Oh, it has taken a terrible toll on people. And um, anyway, his wife had passed away of cancer, but his daughter, um, she was 12. And um, one day she came home and I said to her, Prestina, you are the happiest child I ever met. I said, what makes you so happy? Now, this is the difference between, um, well, let me just finish Anyway, I said, what, what makes you so happy? And she thought about it for a moment. And she said, well, um, I like to go to church and sing in the choir. She said, I like that. That makes me happy. She said, I uh, volunteer at the library. And um, I like helping the younger kids learn how to use the computer. And then she said, oh. And she said, my mom and dad taught me to be a blessing in other people's lives. Well, I know a lot of adults that never learned that one. Mm -hmm. And if we were all a blessing in other people's lives, uh, we wouldn't have the problems we've got today. Well, that's a good, I mean, I've taken up a lot of your time and that's as good a place to end as any. So uh, I just want to thank you, Stephanie Mann, for for being a part of this. Uh, The book, Empowerment Parenting, and uh, I got to say, we have not talked enough, I think. We talked a lot about uh, empowerment community living, and uh, but I, I... for those of you that want to get the 10, the 10 takeaways for how to empower your kids to be more independent thinkers without abandoning them in Mexico, uh, you got to get the book. Link in the show notes. Uh, Stephanie, if somebody wants to follow up with you, where can they do it? Well, you can go to our website, uh, safekidsnow.com. And, um, you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody about this if they would like. And matter of fact, uh, Gib, we have... Uh, we have free downloads on uh, our website that anybody can download. You know, and I mentioned about the neighborhood safety experts. Uh, they can download that too. Um, we have, uh, uh, you know, a blog. We have uh, uh, tip tunes for parents. Uh, we have all kinds of information and people can even join our network. We'd love to have them join us uh, in our effort to empower our communities and empower our parents and families and children. So uh, anyway, I want to thank you for the opportunity to share uh, information with you. It, it was my pleasure. Link to safekidsnow.com in the show notes, uh, as well as is there a social, a preferred social media for you that you like that you are, you're on the most? Yeah, we have, I'm on uh, Facebook under Stephanie Mann. Okay. And, and uh, I'm on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn, I put a lot of articles on LinkedIn. I think I have over 100. 
Links to her so, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn uh, in the show notes as well. And now I'm going to ask you one last question that I ask to literally, literally everybody on the show, uh, unless I forget. What is one thing that people can start doing today that will make their life a whole lot better? Well, I would suggest that uh, if you want to make your whole life, your life much better today, uh, stop and talk and listen to your kids they have so much wisdom. And, you know, our children are also our teachers. Mm. They teach us patience. Uh, and they have, uh, uh, they come with built-in wisdom. So um, I would suggest that if you have one child or ten kids, take time with each child and listen to them and uh, give them plenty of love. Thank you so much, Stephanie, man. We appreciate your time. I hope you have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you, Gip Gerard. That was awesome. And thanks to uh, Stephanie. And I, I got to tell you, I wish this stuff was around when I was uh, step-parenting you and parenting uh, Prima. I could have, uh, I could have done a little better job. I'm sorry uh, about that. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you needed to hear a lot of this stuff because I, I didn't end up, you know, in the back of somebody's trunk. But. Uh, that is it for our day. One of the, we do want to thank That Stephanie is an Mann. idea, though, for a road trip. <laughs> you know what? Do they still have drive-in movie theaters? Because we could save some money yeah, on that idea. The, that was the thing. That idea, fit everybody yeah. in the trunk. Once again, want to thank Stephanie Mann. Go check out her book. Links to all of that stuff in the show notes. Speaking of the show notes, thank you guys so much for listening. We cannot do this show without you. If you like Intelligence for Life, the podcast, please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot. If you want to follow up with us, we are on Facebook.com slash John Tesh all the time. John is also on Twitter at John Tesh, on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard, Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard, at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we really appreciate all of the DMs and, and notes that you guys have sent us. We are trying to respond to all of them, and we will continue to reach out to the guests that you guys think we should have. And the more you let us know on all of those platforms, the more we will be able to respond and make this show exactly what you want. Because once again, we cannot do this without you. Thank you for listening. 